Welcome to the Circle City Cinema with Zach Griffith and Brett Sexton, a part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Welcome into Circle City Cinema, part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Me and my co-host, Brett Sexton. Brett, how you doing? I'm doing good. Got two great movies tonight. We're cheating, Brett. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's not like there's a plethora of Thanksgiving movies out there to watch. Uh, no, I think we're all right. We're cheating. We're still going with our uh, scary movies. Talking about Psycho and Get Out tonight. So I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about these. Good movies. One bona fide classic and one that I think... One will fantastic be a classic. first outing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess technically not the first. If you, I guess he didn't direct Keanu, but he, I think he wrote. First directorial. Yeah. It will be a bona fide classic in years to come. But first, some sad news, Bredis. Sean Connery, gone. Yep. James Bond, as most people know him. I'll the let best. you take it. He goes in and out of being my best or my favorite and the best James Bond. Him and Daniel Craig are my top two, but they're different. I think the modern Hollywood is so action-packed that Daniel Craig is the action star. Sean, Sean Connery is the, the ladies' man, the smooth talker. There's still the femme fatale and the newer ones, but it really was like, you know, dress very well, the glass of whiskey, the smooth talker, all, I mean – it's like what you kind of think of the prime era of James Bond. Yeah. And then, I mean, a hell of an acting career. I think that is most known then maybe Indiana Jones. That was my first exposure to him. Yeah. Honestly, if I'm being honest, that Indiana Jones of the last crusade was my first Sean Connery experience. Yeah. But I mean, so many other good movies too. We have murder on the Orient express. The Man Who Would Be King, Highlander, The Untouchables that we recently watched a few months ago, which is a great movie. Yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones, like we said, The Hunt for Red October, which is another very famous movie. Great. And The Rock. So Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> Hell of a career. Um, good to know that, I mean, it wasn't a, a crazy, surprising death. He was 90. He was old. I mean, of just health, old complications. So it wasn't a tragic loss and cut down to the prime of his career in life. He definitely yeah. had not been acting for some time. He'd been retired, I think, since like 06. He yeah. did some like minor voiceover work later, but he hadn't been in a movie since 06. Unlike Jack Nicholson, I was very aware that he was <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, you know, only one Oscar for the movie you just talked about, The, the Untouchables. Yeah. Best Supporting Actor, which, uh, based on what I saw, Brad, deserving. Yeah. I mean, he was never going to get anything for James Bond. Hell no. I feel like that's a, a given. They were never going to give him any kind of Oscar for that. And that no. was <laughs> what he was known for. And that, I mean, he luckily had a great career afterwards, but a lot of people, because I mentioned Daniel Craig, he was tentative to take the role because there's that fear of once you become Bond, you're Bond. Yeah. And he didn't like, I, I was reading up on him. He didn't like the attention Bond gave him. Yeah, I mean, it's... He hated it. 
It's a huge deal. I mean, I'm not a gigantic Pierce Brosnan fan. So I've seen all those movies, but I think of him, I think of his Bond movies. I don't like those movies as much, but because he was Bond, that's all I know him for. Right. I mean, Daniel Craig's going to be. Yeah. I mean, it is a big deal to be Bond and it really, especially if they're good, like people overall enjoy the Daniel Craig movies. So he's even more so, yeah, he, he will go down as a Bond, but. A loss for the world of Hollywood and Sean Connery. Big loss. Like you said, not surprising loss, but still tough. Tough to take. Yeah. Uh, he was in uh, how many How many Bond movies was he in? Six? Yes. Yeah, six. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. His last one, Never Say Never Again, was he came back to do that. Yeah. That was 12 years after he said, I'm never doing this again. Well, Craig said he wasn't doing any more, and, and now he's doing the No Time to Die. <laughs> so I feel like it's just a part of being James Bond as you eventually go, I've had enough, and then they go, ah, one more? Funny what a blank check will do to a man. And you're like, well, I got nothing going on that month, I guess. <laughs> well, I just finished Knives Out, so... Uh... Yeah, I guess to me, it is funny, yeah, when you're that level of A-list and you're not, like, making art movies for the sake of, like, the craft and are just taking checks, do they become too good for the movie or do they want to distance and say, I want to do better stuff? Do I want to do more honest work? I don't want to do these big right. titles, but then they see a check with 12 figures on it and then they're like, well, I mean, <laughs> what is art anyways? <laughs> I mean, you see like franchise people, Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Radcliffe trying to do that with Harry Potter, trying to distance yeah. himself kind of. I mean, that's different, too, because you're, like, being a child almost in that first movie. Yeah. Oh, he was, he was a kid. Yeah, a kid. so. But. Uh, that's tough, especially with how big that gets. Oh, God, look at what happened to Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Because Bond was already, like, big, so you know what you're getting into. When those kids, like, got the roles for Harry Potter, they knew the books were fantastic, but you don't know how well it'll translate. And it just as much, if not more, than the books picked up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, not surprising, but nevertheless, a big loss. So, uh, rest in peace, Sean. We're going to miss you. Bredis. Yes. In the spirit of uh, election week, as of yeah. right now, as of right now when we're recording, we don't know who won the election. Yeah. Might not know for a couple more days, honestly. Might not know for a couple more days. But as of right now, we don't know. Brett's. I did a similar game with Caleb when I was on the Linsanity a couple days ago. And I'm going to do it with you, but reverse. So I got a list here. The biggest blowouts in presidential election history. (laughs) (laughs) You and I were looking over these the other day. There's some some embarrassing losses. (laughs) I'm looking at the Truman. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The Truman campaign. I think it was 1932 where he was... Roosevelt. Yeah. Or Roosevelt, yeah. So uh, I'm going to list off... I'm going to give you a number. And you're going to tell me if the winning candidate got over or under that amount of electoral votes. Blowout spread us. (laughs) Here we go. 1936. Franklin Roosevelt versus Alf Landon spread us. Oh, yes. Big Alf. Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, not big. <laughs> Franklin Roosevelt. Over, under, 
500 electoral votes over. <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> 523. <laughs> 500 uh, to eight, Brett. Do you think, I mean, how quickly, if it was like worked the same way now, it was covered as much, how quickly, let's say it starts at 6 p.m., did they say it's over? It's just was, f- it, was it seven? <laughs> at 7 p.m., did they say he has 270? <laughs> at that point, it's just a formality that Alf Landon is even running. Yeah. It's the formality. Thank God they didn't have the 24-hour, like, crazy news cycle because they'd cut to his, like, campaign, like, team sitting there just, well... We we knew what we were getting into. Off Landon concedes thirty minutes into election. <laughs> oh God! All right, next nineteen sixty four. Lyndon Johnson versus mm-hmm. Barry Goldwater. Read us. Lyndon Johnson over or under four hundred and eighty electoral votes. Over. Correct. Mm. Four hundred eighty six to fifty two. A little closer. He inched closer. He's a little closer. closer. At least I remember the name of the other candidate. I remember Goldwater. Yeah, through like just history classes. I didn't remember the <laughs> nineteen thirty-two guy. I mean, he made enough of a wave to be remembered. You know what? How come we never hear about Alf Landon in history class? Because because he, he got he, he got he got murdered that night. <laughs> he never, went into showed hiding. His, never showed his face again. <laughs> 1972, Brennus. Tricky Dick Nixon. Yeah. Versus George McGovern. Richard Nixon. Over or under 510 electoral votes. I say under. Your first, your first incorrect answer, Brennus. Mm. 520. Wow, you're on by that. I thought it was a little bit closer. 520 to 17. Damn. <laughs> 1980, Ronald Reagan versus the incumbent Jimmy Carter. <laughs> You're shaking your head, Brennan. <laughs> I know, I know. He killed his ass. All right, Ronald Reagan, over or under 490 electoral votes? Over. Oh, oh under. 489. Oh, so close. 489 to 49. Yeah, that's got to be some kind of record for an incumbent losing that bad. Yeah, well, As Reagan, Reagan won everything. <laughs> and the final one, Bredis, 1984. Ronald Reagan versus Walter Mondale. Yeah. Reagan. Ra- Reagan wins every time. He sweeps. Over or under 520 electoral votes for Ronald Reagan. Over. Correct. <laughs> 525 to 13. Yeah. He, that election, he won almost every single state. Yeah, Walter Mondale won only his home state of Minnesota and D.C. Yeah. He won nothing else. Tough. <laughs> tough. Tough. I mean, Ronald Reagan was a, he was a GOAT president. You know? people, just, and people just loved him, too. Yeah. He's a good public speaker. Like the fatherly figure, you know? Hollywood guy. He applies here. Because people could have been like, oh, I saw him in the movies. He applies to our show, Brennus. He does indeed. (laughs) A man of the silver screen. (laughs) And before we get into Psycho and Get Out, Brett, I want to add a new segment to our show. 
good things you've seen lately? TV or film? Got anything for us? Uh, the Boys came out with their second season. Yeah. On Amazon Prime, if you have it. It's a phenomenal show. I've never seen it. I st- haven't totally finished season two yet, but it is really a fun take on the superhero genre and, and that whole world, which is exciting. Movie-wise, uh, what did I just recently watch? I like Carl Urban, so I might, mm. watch, I might check out The Boys. Yeah, it is a really good show. I would recommend it to anyone that kind of likes superheroes and that genre. Movie I saw recently was, what was it the other night? There was a a whole like noir for November month on Letterboxd, which is a really fun app for anyone out there to review movies. And they have little lists people put out. And it was Ace in the Hole by Billy Wilder, 1951. Nice. But yeah, it's like 30, yeah, 30 noir movies to watch in the month of November. It's kind of a fun little game. You need an Ace in the Hole. Mine's Harvey. <laughs> Ace in the Hole. Never saw it. I had neither. Who's in it? Uh, let me pull it up again. I forget all their names. 1951, you said? Yeah. I'm going to guess. Uh, I don't Kirk, think that'd be a Bogart movie. No. Kirk Douglas. Ah. Uh, Jan Sterling, Robert Arthur, Porter Hall, Frank Caddy, Richard Benedict. Big big guns. Yeah. That's nice. Billy Wilder. Yeah, he, he was getting the big actors out. Kirk Douglas, nice. Yeah, it's a kind of a neat plot. It's a frustrated former big city journalist now stuck working for an Albuquerque newspaper exploits a story about a man trapped in a cave to revitalize his career. But the situation quickly escalates into an out-of-control media circuit. So what unironically, unintentionally, a pretty relative movie to watch with some media craziness going on yeah (laughs) yeah no shit things getting out of hand uh good things i've seen lately i told you before the show i watched moneyball last night instead of watching the election i watched moneyball (laughs) which i've seen many times but uh i'm just continually blown away at how that movie did not win best picture in 2011 I don't know. I mean, uh, we Brad talked Pitt didn't win Best Actor. Yeah, we talked about it on the Social Network pod. But another prime example of how good of a writer Aaron Sorkin is. Right. I don't give a I don't give a damn about the sport of baseball, but I love that movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman, another no surprise, but what yeah. a great performance as the even, man. Even Jonah Hill gives a really solid performance. Jonah Hill, that was like his coming out party for drama. It's a, it was a it's a really good role for him. He was like unrecognizable in that role. Yeah. In terms of his acting, but I liked uh, Philip Seymour often. He was, <laughs> especially when Brad uh, trades a guy right in front of him. Yeah. He's just he, a guy trying to do his job <laughs> the whole movie. And he's just like, you're killing this team. <laughs> you're killing us. <laughs> but, uh, and then TV, I watched uh, Unsolved Mysteries Volume 2. Netflix. So some good ones in there. Got one for you, Brad. One of the unsolved mysteries. You're a conspiracy guy a little bit. Yeah, they're fun. Right? So in the first episode, a uh it's called Washington Insider Murder. 
So this uh this pretty big Washington DC insider, he he was like the bit the main guy in getting the Vietnam War Memorial built. He uh ends up in a landfill, Brett. As as they do. <laughs> and uh they chalk it up. The police try and chalk it up to uh they find some uh security footage of him in a in a parking garage. He can't find his car. They chalk it up to him having bipolar disease, which uh bipolar disorder, which he actually did have. But they chalk it up to that, and that's it. <laughs> he chopped himself up. <laughs> it's like no. No. <laughs> I don't think it's that simple, officer. Uh, but uh, that's that's the, that's the police back then. It's good, minimal effort. It's good. I I, I suggest checking it out. And Moneywall for sure, if you haven't seen it. So, uh, moving in, Bredis to Psycho, released in 1960, directed and produced by the Goat. Some might say Alfred yeah. Hitchcock. He's got the resume to back it up. He does. He he was in our God tier in Director Hall of Fame. Uh, Written by Joseph Stefano, edited by George Tomasini. He's a regular Hitchcock collaborator. Cinematography by John L. Russell. Music. Iconic music by Bernard Herrmann. Oh, yeah. Starring Anthony Perkins, Janet Leigh, Martin Balsam, Vera Miles, Based on the 1959 novel by Robert Block. 8.5 out of 10 IMDb. Raj had it on his great movie list. Yeah, not even just a 4 out of 4. <laughs> on a great movie. A step above 4 out of 4. And just another jab at the Academy real quick. Because we talked about his resume. The man has one Oscar. Not for and, it is, and it is not for directing. Just in case you all forgot if the Academy means shit or if they know what they're doing. They don't mean shit. They don't know what they're doing. Easily arguable, one of the greatest directors to ever grace filmmaking in Hollywood does not have a best director Oscar. And only has one for joke. all his movies. It's a joke. <laughs> it's just an absolute joke. I mean, I'm going to let you take the floor on Al, but I just want to say in a nine-year span... He made <laughs> Dial M for Murder, Rear Window, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, and The Birds. Which are on less a lot than a decade. Are some of the greatest movies of all time. In less than a decade, he made those movies. Yeah. No, he, he was that guy. He was, he was the real deal. <laughs> I'm going to let you take the floor here. Uh, Hitchcock. Is it his best work? Is it, It's definitely his most famous work, I'd say. Yeah, this is his most well-known, his most pop culture movie. Probably the most references. I mean, for the shower scene alone, I think this is probably his most well-known movie. People that don't even know who Alfred Hitchcock is would probably recognize the shower scene. Right. But it's not my favorite. I don't think it's his best, but it's it's a great, great movie. What do you think is his best? Hmm. Uh, it's a loaded question. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's tough when your batting average is this high. I don't yeah. know if he, I don't know if I I would need more time to pick out his objectively best, but it's definitely not my favorite of his. Rear window, I, like, I feel like doesn't get enough respect. Oddly enough, 
Rear Window is one of my favorites of his. Um, I like a lot of the ones that he shot not in the U.S. Yeah. Like, sa- like Sabotage, some of the from the 19... When did that 50s. come out? 50s. Let me look up Sabotage real quick. 40s and 50s. Yeah, I mean, those are interesting because he it's like him testing the waters and getting... That was 1936. I, I thought it was much Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of the movies that he made not in the u.s for around there and that's a really good movie if i'm correct i think uh he has a kid get on a bus with a bomb and it was not received well <laughs> ow i'm pretty sure that or that was the movie theater one where there's like a bomb i don't know all i know is that yeah like kid it insinuated a child got onto a bus and blew up. I had, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was a great movie. <laughs> by 1936's standards, it was not the most well-received moment. Alfred. But, but even, even speaking of that, with Psycho and this big scene and all that, he tried to keep hush-hush that ending and plead with people not to talk about it. Right. If you're so inclined, you can look up uh, the trailer for this movie and it's him on the set of the Bates Motel kind of talking about the location and everything and it doesn't give anything away. And even the, the murder itself takes place, I think technically still in the first act, like they kill off the star. Right, there's an, the hour, there's an hour left when uh, she dies. Which shocks a lot of people. Right. Because you're this big, huge star at the time. You think she's going to be the focus point. She won't die. She can't die. So kind of subverting all of that. But I don't know. You just get prime Alfred Hitchcock moments in this movie. The movie starts out with, I mean, just his masterful movement of the camera. The mo- like, it doesn't follow anybody at first. It creeps into the apartment. The, I think it's a hotel room. So you get the, especially like in Rear Window, that voyeuristic feeling of you yeah. spying on the couple, which is a trademark of his. But he, I mean, even the plot itself, it's just so simple enough to not have to question about it. She takes the $40,000 and she's off. Yep. Nothing about it falters. Everything about it is believable how she gets to point A to point B. I don't know. It's just hard to find faults or to praise a movie like this that has already been praised enough. Uh, We talk about being horror. I always like to make the distinction that Alfred Hitchcock does not make horror movies. He makes thrillers. He does. Because he gives you as much information as humanly possible. He does not like to throw twists at you. He'll subvert expectations, make everything very tense which is a movie like Rope, which I recommend that people should check out if they like Hitchcock, which I think is not as seen by as many people. That movie is just 100% tension the entire time. Yeah. There's a body in the middle of a room. Only two people know about it, and there's a dinner party going on taking place. People get close to it, so you know information. The characters don't. That's his... That's where he is the master, making you feel very tense, and you get a lot of that in this movie as well. But... What are, you, what are your thoughts on it? Because I've taken courses on Hitchcock. I've written essays on Hitchcock. Yeah, that's why I gave you the floor. <laughs> I knew you'd blow me away. But, I, you know, you had, you had a point. He doesn't throw a lot of twists in there, but I think he does in this movie at the yeah. end. You know, the, the mom is the skeleton. Yeah. 
and uh, Norman a, plays yeah. dress up. <laughs> this is yeah on that rare occasion where he would throw in a twist in there, which is why he wanted so badly for no one to spoil it. I can see why. Yeah, he was actively releasing things and telling audience members to not talk about the end of the movie or to kind of give anything away for that authentic experience. I would argue this is his most, you know, besides Rope, his most suspenseful movie. Could you make that case? Mm, You could damn near make any compelling case for any Hitchcock movie. (laughs) I Um, I, I think I would make the case. Most suspenseful. That's an interesting, yeah, I don't know. Because Rear Window is not suspenseful. It's just a mis- it's mysterious. Rear Window does have very suspenseful moments. It does. But I think the, the overall tone of Psycho, I think, is more suspenseful than uh, Rear Windows. Now, Rear Windows, the suspense heats up at the end. Whereas Psycho, it's kind of their... Kind of, yeah. the kind of the whole time. You agree? Yeah, I would probably put it in his top three most suspenseful movies. But, you know, then you've got Vertigo. You've got Dial M for Murder. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the list goes on for this guy. I mean, you can't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the shower scene itself is one of the most moments right his movies so it's hard to not put it up there just on that one scene but that might be the is he i mean talk about making a case that could be the most uh famous scene in all of film i mean it really yeah 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 it's hard to argue against that it's been mimicked it's been uh done over again and again yeah i mean you know that i mean everyone would probably be able to recognize that scene but uh Talk about the kind of the thriller genre. This was really the first uh, slasher film. I mean, you get legit like slashing in this movie. It's yeah, it's tough because that's like a scene of slashing. But when you say slasher film, now it's like the Halloween. Like this doesn't yeah. meet those definitions. You have that one moment, but it. It was the first instance of slashing, you know. Yeah, you didn't get you didn't get shit like that before <laughs> this. You just didn't. And uh, I think you know what? We'll get into the controversies now because I think uh, what we're talking about applies there. Her naked in the shower. You didn't do yeah. that shit back then. I mean, no. obviously they didn't show anything, but. He didn't do no, that. He, I mean, he pushed the envelope and anyone is interested read up on it, on the creative ways that he got around, uh, you know, the, whatever it was called, code of conduct or whatever Hollywood had in place at that time in the studio era, how heavy handed they were on censorship. He was so creative and getting the most he could out of every movie of pushing the envelope on that. And there was pushback for that scene in particular for how much nudity he did show. And that's right. why it's cut so phonetically and so fast-paced is to get around all that. Um, the first time we see Marion Crane, she's in a bra. Yeah. You know? She's like basically half naked. Another, again, shit you didn't do back then. Mm-hmm. And he's now, like pushing these boundaries. The old voyeur staring at a, at a scantily clad woman. That's Hitchcock. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, at the end of the movie, the cross-dressing, you definitely didn't do that back then. You definitely yeah. didn't do that. So, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he did as much as he could to push those boundaries at the time. I mean, I mean uh, domestically, he didn't have to edit it that much, but I read uh, internationally, he had to do some heavy lifting to get it released overseas because yeah. they weren't going to have that stuff. No. So just I just think it, more reasons why he's one of the best, if not the best. Yeah, and uh, he, Hitchcock got described to me at one point as yeah. Tell us. I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but I think it was the the William Shakespeare of film theory. Like his movies are the bar. If you're a film scholar and you come up with a fil, uh, a theory for film studies, if it can be applied to an Alfred Hitchcock film, then more often than not, it'll be accepted as an actual film theory. That is the bar of all of his movies. If you can apply it to a certain scene, a certain recurring motif in a Hitchcock film, that it will have some validity. That his movies encompass all realms of film theory from you know, fem- feminist film theory to queer film theory to anything under the sun his films cover. Think about how, think about how fucking talented you have to be and just how much of a natural you have to be at filmmaking mm-hmm. people to be able to point to that stuff. Yeah. And, and he never wanted, he was never obsessed outside of some female actresses. He was never obsessed with the actor in a sense where he was, he was the master of the camera where he just needed you to read a line straight. He would tell the story by showing by movement and all of that. That's where he really shined through. He didn't need anybody to go over, do any performance. He was going to tell that story with the camera. You know, I feel uh, Michael Mann has taken from him in that aspect. Because Michael Mann, and he and Collateral and Thief, he's mm-hmm. so good with the camera. And I, I even thought during Psycho, especially in the shower scene, reminded me of the camera movement in the, uh, the big robbery scene in Heat. Just all kinds of angles. Yeah, yeah. A simple scene when you break it down, but because Mm -hmm. of all the angles and stuff, it seems like there's a lot more going on than there actually is. Yeah. And it's effective. It's effective as hell. Uh, Best scene, Bredis. You want to take it? Sure. First up, we got the opening credits, which when I rewatched it again, I love them. Alfred Hitchcock's opening credits are always spectacular. It's something that movies have lost. Yeah, occasionally you'll get one here and there that puts a lot of fun time and energy into making it a unique opening credit scene. The Raimi trilogy. Yeah. And it does nothing but good. You don't lose anything for putting time and care into your opening credits. It can only make things better, more interesting, but a fantastic opening credits. We have the car dealership scene. They're her checking into the Bates motel. Norman and Marion dinner slash their conversation, which is on that first viewing <laughs> when you think they're two different people is just weird. <laughs> and then by the end of the movie, then you go back and think, you're like, Oh God, it's, <laughs> it's even weirder. The shower death clean up the private investigator showing up and questioning Norman, the PS death, <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Layla investigate the motel. And then the ending scene, 
Yeah, I had a note on the ending scene. It's legitimately scary. Yeah, that that zoom in slowly <clears throat> onto Norman is. Yeah, yeah, it's horrifying. The zoom in on the mom's skeleton, <laughs> and then her turning around, Norman bursting in dressed as his mother. Yeah, wielding a knife. It just combined with the shock value. It's just like <laughs> insanely terrifying. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. You made good points about the opening credits. Yeah. Best um, scene. It's, it's tough. It's definitely not the shower death. You don't it's think It's the so? most iconic. I love that it happens and how early it happens. But I don't think it's the best scene per se. I mean, I, really I love... Yeah. Go ahead. I really enjoyed the private investigator questions, Norman. I was just going to say, I love when they show up. And then even when Sam and Leela show up, because that's where you get real, real tension. Yeah. You get to see how does Norman answer these questions? Does he kind of break down and get nervous or does he really put on the act and play it? That's where all the tension rises up. When the PI shows up, he, uh, he slips up. He does. He slips he's, not, he's, he's not prepared at first. It takes him a second. <laughs> it's linen day. I got to change the sheets, even though nobody's <laughs> been here for weeks. <laughs> yeah. He had to think on his feet quickly there. When uh, the PI asked for to see the books, he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you could just see in his face, he's like, fuck. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, especially when he compares the writing samples. Oh, yeah. He's, oh, you know what? She was here. <laughs> yeah, I know. When he gets presented <laughs> with some hard evidence that he has to answer for it, really. Uh, now, that you sh- now that you say that, she was here. She was. She stayed in Cabin Wood. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I would say the PI questions Norman. Yeah, would be the best scene just because of the suspense value. I want your thoughts on the voiceovers. You know, there's only three of them, I think. Yeah, they're not my favorite. I don't. I don't think they make the movie worse by having I, them in there or not out of there. I just that's something in movies that I've never really been a huge fan of. But. Do you prefer voiceovers like this or narrated voiceovers? Probably voiceovers like this. Like the narrated ones are probably a little worse. Really? Goodfellas being an exception? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I feel like it is a case-to-case basis. Goodfellas, Wolf... Yeah, I guess uh, I guess I'll probably flip it. I guess the narrated ones, when they work thematically, are better than just a general narration. Well, Scorsese, I mentioned two Scorsese movies. He just yeah, because they're just weaved. The yeah, they're weaved into the narrative in that way. It's not like a original Blade Runner where he was just voiceovering yeah, right. to for the sake of voiceover. Thank God they cut that up in the in the director's cut. Thank God in, in one of the seventy five versions of that movie. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're going to start seeing more of that. It's like, fuck it. Didn't do good on the first one. Let's just make it right. cut. Re-release it. Blade Runner. <laughs> the cut that isn't bad. Justice League. The flash cut. Blade Runner. <laughs> the average cut. Yeah, like, God. <laughs> you know, our thoughts on Snyder. We're not going to get into it. Not going to get into it today. Oh, uh, you're, not, you're not excited for that four-part TV show? Or, I mean, movie. Oh, my bad. 
Thoughts on the score, Bredis? <laughs> I'm not going to address you on that. <laughs> it doesn't deserve it. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, the score is fantastic. It fits every scene perfectly, but that's no surprise coming from Alfred Hitchcock. It's awesome, especially when she's driving in the rain and yeah. she, she's forced to stop. And It's awesome. And in the opening credits, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the, the score for the opening credits is beautiful. I forgot how good the music was for the opening credits. It's awesome. <clears throat> whole movie's awesome, but it starts off hot. Yeah. Uh, and then the early death of our supposed main character, yeah. Marion Crane. It's fantastic. I wonder how... Uh, it's one of those you wish you had a time machine, go back and watch it in the theater, because the shock value just had to be off the charts. Oh, yeah. Because I love it. Because, yeah, everyone's expecting her to live. And while she might be the protagonist, the story is about Norman. Yeah. And who this who we end up finding out about this person. So it's exciting that we think the plot is going to be all around her taking this money and getting away. It's like a separate movie and almost for that first chunk of the film. And then once she dies and you, and you think, well, maybe the end's close. But then once you realize it's not, there's like an hour left – for that first viewing, you're excited to see, well, where's it going to go now? Now the focus is on this Norman character and we just not met him. And I I know I love that decision to do it so early to not have that be the climax. Yeah. I think is fantastic. And the audiences kind of got duped in a way because you're led to believe this 40 grand is going to play a huge part in the story. It ends up in a swamp. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it is like the, it's a completely different movie. The start of the movie, at the beginning, when she takes that money, and you think it's going completely one direction. There's a cop follow, like chasing her at one point. Like it's yeah. not a typical, but yeah, just flipping it like that and making it feel like an entirely separate movie is. It ends fantastic. up in the trunk of a car in a swamp. Yeah. yeah, that money's gone. That it meant nothing in the grand scheme. That sex offender at the bank is not getting that forty grand back. <laughs> Uh, well, you know what? Just because you said that, let's get into the comedy. <laughs> let's get into the comedy of this movie. Uh, Marion, shortly after stealing the 40 grand, basically stealing the 40 grand. She said she's yeah. for the bank, but come on. Yeah. Spotted by her boss after saying she had to leave because she wasn't feeling well. I know. And her boss, <laughs> the look on her boss's face is just bewilderment. Double take. Yeah. He did a double thing. What? <laughs> what? Oh, my God, yeah. And then uh, Norman's mom in the window is kind of funny because... I think uh, that's one of our funny things. Yeah. <laughs> where that makes us laugh when it probably wasn't meant to make anyone laugh. It's not, but looking back on it, knowing it's Norman, it's just funny. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, with hindsight, some scenes end up being funny. Like, <laughs> the next one you have here, the Miss Bates yelling. Yeah. The first, the first viewing, it's not funny. You're not going to laugh at that. But then when you go, like, we'll watch it again, and you know it's Norman. It's just hilarious <laughs> that he's, like, screaming. It's two different people. And then uh, peeping Norman. Peeps. Oh, yeah. Peeps at Marion in the shower through the through the wall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> little horny Norman. Little, yeah. <laughs> and then I don't know if you remember this line, but uh, Marion's uh, I don't know what you'd call him, boyfriend, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
uh, his name's Sam. And uh, <laughs> the PI comes and, uh, like, questions. It's either the PI or Marion's sister, one or the other. They come to, like, question Sam on where Marion is. And Sam works at, like, this hardware store. Yeah. <laughs> Sam's like, hey, Bob, uh, why did you run out while I talk to Lila here? And he's like, oh, I brought my lunch. And he's like, well, <laughs> run out and eat it. <laughs> Yeah. He's basically saying, translation, fuck off. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> so I thought, that was, I thought that was funny. And then uh, the one you were talking about, Marion berated by drunken fool at work. Yeah. Thoughts on that scene, Brett? It's just... Talk about horny. Yeah. You, the plays it up so you don't feel too bad about this man having $40,000 <laughs> taken from him, but some very inappropriate workplace touch happening. And then in one of the voiceovers, he says, uh, she was flirting with me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I actually know she wasn't. Yeah. And then uh, the transvestite comment at the end. It's just, a, just, an, it's just an idiot chiming in. Like, there's a, there's a man with a PhD speaking. In psychology. And then he shoots in with his a horrible comment that doesn't help anybody. The psychologist is trying to explain that Norman <laughs> thinks he is his mother. There's a killer in that room. Like a woman died. Right. And he's trying to explain the mental state of the man in the room. And this guy thinks it's a good time to chime in. Norman dresses as his mother. And then the guy chimes in. So he's a transvestite. <laughs> and then the doctor's just like, I actually know. <laughs> I'm in the middle of speaking, you fool. He actually thinks he's his mother. <laughs> if you'll let me finish. <laughs> it's not for sexual reasons. He actually thinks he's his mother. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> uh, and then uh, talk about the performances, Brad. Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates. Um, iconic. Yeah. Totally iconic. Oh, yeah. And guess what, Brad? I know this will throw you for a loop. No Oscar nomination. I'm not surprised. They just, I feel like they hated Hitchcock for some reason. <laughs> and then uh, the only other one I thought was worth mentioning was uh, Janet Lee as Marion Crane. Mm-hmm. For any listeners who don't know, Janet Lee is the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis. So they talked go. about talked about her the other week. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. So uh, I thought, especially Anthony Perkins, did a hell of a job. Janet Lee was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Didn't yeah. win, but she won the Golden Globe, didn't win the Oscar. Uh, question on Norman Bredis. Is he charming? Is he creepy? Or is he both? I don't... I could see someone maybe thinking he has charming elements, but I think she was just being nice and polite, like talking and listening to him. I think he was just wholeheartedly creepy. I think it was totally creepy. Like, I guess someone could look at when she first checks in and the way she's like politely talks and like eats in there with them. But I think she was just like trying to be nice. But yeah, the entire time, you know, that something is up with this man. The minute he opens his mouth, I just, you don't trust a word that comes out of it. How about his hobby is uh, taxidermy? Love yeah, that. that's, that is one of the biggest red flags when you're alone <laughs> in a room with someone. Oh, you said nobody's been here in weeks. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> There had to be another motel a couple miles to the road. <laughs> you know, if only it wasn't raining that night, she could have kept driving. Oh, well. 
and she's and she's out forty grand. Yeah. Uh, and then Bredis start bench or cut Norman Bates, Jack Torrance, and Rose Armitage from the next movie we're going to talk about tonight. <clears throat> Tough. Start bench or cut. for what? For you need killers. Okay. You need sadistic people. Jack's hard to. You're putting together a sadistic dream team. Yeah, it's hard to. Mm, that's a good one. I feel like Norman's definitely going to get cut. Wow. Norman getting cut. Norman, he get, he's got one kill in there. Um, I'm probably going to bench uh, Jack because he just had a nervous breakdown that prompted it. And for the next movie, if, if you've seen it, holy shit, you're starting Rose. She is a yeah. clinical <laughs> psychopath with the research she does and the details she goes into. That's You're starting her if you want to kill her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't do the killing, but uh, she leads to it. She does the 99% of it and makes it super easy <laughs> if you're the one that has to do it. She opens the door to the killing. Yeah, brings him to you on a silver platter. Uh, for me, I'm with you. I'm going to start Rose. You can't... We'll get into her. <laughs> I'm going to start Rose. I'm going to bench Norman, and here's why. Here's why I'm benching Norman. Norman is unhinged. He thinks he's somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I need somebody to die... I'm going to take the unhinged guy to do it. I don't know. I feel like that might complicate it. What if in the middle of trying to kill someone, he, he snaps into mom mode and now he's someone else and he can't finish the job. I'm going, take, I'm going to take that chance, Brad, because we've seen Jack Torrance miss the mark. We've seen him shit the bed. We've also seen him kill. <laughs> RIP, uh, <laughs> scat man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't he didn't he didn't get to make his mark. And I'm gonna cut Jack because Jack really only had a half hour of uh of a, a kill streak. Yeah. And how many he only killed one person, right? I mean so did So did Norman, but so I'm taking Norman. I'm taking the unhinged factor. Yeah. She didn't really have a much of a chance to defend herself. No, she didn't. <laughs> Probably the most vulnerable position she could have been in. Back turned in the shower. <laughs> Naked, back turned in a shower. I mean, I mean, hell, this movie is why people will like check behind the shower curtain. Yeah. This is why you do that now because of this movie. I mean, we'll get into it, but, uh, you know, this movie caused a lot of women to just not shower ever again. Yeah. They took baths. Know. They took baths the rest of their life. <laughs> so, uh, moving on to best quotes. <laughs> A boy's best friend is his mother. Probably the most famous quote from this film. Yeah. Uh, a son is a poor substitute for a lover. Norman. I like that one. I, I like to get that on like a poster just as a reminder to anyone. That's like a good life lesson to live by. Norman hitting the nail on the head there. <laughs> a son is a poor substitute for a lover. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> and then uh, we all go a little mad sometimes, which uh, probably facts, Norman. Not, not, not like that, Norman. <laughs> don't try to don't try to loop us all in together. Facts, but not in the way that you mean. 
yeah, don't, we don't do this, right? <laughs> no, 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 we don't. <laughs> Wait, you don't have your mom's bones in the basement? No, no. No, no. I can't say I do. Uh, we talked about the controversies at the time. The shower scene, Brad. Some fun facts from there. Oh, yeah. 77 camera angles used. Yeah, that just mean. I've been making shot lists recently, and that just sounds like a logistical nightmare, prepping all that for 77 different angles. Took a week to film. Yeah. To film one scene. Oh, yeah. I believe it. Oh, yeah, I 100% believe it. But it paid off. It paid off more than they probably ever could have dreamed it. <laughs> and then uh, we were talking about the impact of that scene. Janet Lee would shower with the doors locked for the rest of her life. <laughs> she was in the scene can't be too sure can't be too sure uh, Brett's Bitch one of our famous segments anything yeah, I don't think you'll ever get a Brett's Bitch out of me about Alfred Hitchcock if anything it would just be like a wacky like poking fun at something it would never be a serious Brett's Bitch about an Alfred Hitchcock movie well I'm gonna butt in it's not ah. about the it's not, it's not about the movie I bet you can guess what it's about. Is it the Oscars? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll bitch about Not that. Not nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I know. What a fucking joke. <sighs> I hate to see it. Well, that brings us to the 33rd Oscars. Four nods, no wins. No wins. I'm going to repeat that. No wins for Psycho at the Oscars. Nominated for Best Director, Best Supporting Actress for Janet Lee, Best Production Design, and Best Cinematography. Best Production Design. That, 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 that could have won. Could have won. This would have been for the 1961 Oscars. Right. And the Best Picture nominees were I don't the, Al- the Alamo. I don't even want to hear it. Sons and Lovers, Elmer Gantry, the Sundowners what? And, the, and the Apartment. And I think The Apartment by Billy Wilder won. Elmer what? Elmer Gantry by Bernard Smith. <laughs> you want to know what's even more frustrating? What? The Alamo was directed by John Wayne. And he got a nomination But Alfred didn't win. Zach, it didn't make its. It didn't make its. It made barely made its money back. No, it didn't actually. Budget twelve million, made twenty million. Look, I don't even have to hear what the other movies of nineteen sixty were. This was the most successful movie of the year. That's. I mean, to not even be nominated is disgusting. Now, when we get into Get Out, I think the Oscars actually got it right with that, because you're gonna remember Get Out yeah. in twenty years. Who remembers the Alamo or the movie John Wayne did? Yeah, it's that's the Academy doing what they do best. And then Brett, Dis- disappointing. Always. That's all they do is disappoint. Brett, I'm going to give you the floor on this next topic. The re- <laughs> I don't want to talk about the, the movie. The remake. The joke. The unnecessary. The idiotic, moronic. Who, who plays? Who plays Norman Bates? Zach. 
Vince Vaughn. Vince goddamn Vaughn. <laughs> 1998. What the hell was going on in 1998? Anne Hesh, Vince Vaughn, Julianne Moore, Viggo Mortensen, William H. Macy. Some big names in there, but God. What a waste of talent. And directed just, by a great director, Gus Van Zandt. You just don't need... There's a reason that Mank is not going to be a remake of Citizen Kane. It's about the process and the screenwriter of making the movie. Because if you try to remake a movie that is considered the greatest movie of all time, it'll suck. You knew remaking Psycho was never going to be as good as the original. It was never going to be a successful idea. (laughs) But, you know... Hollywood wants to make some money. They need to take certain movies and just say, look, nobody's touching these ever again. Nobody's even going to think about suggesting a remake of these movies. I love when Hollywood fails, though, man. Budget of $60 million. Box office, $37 million. Oh, I just love it. In their mind, they're like, dude, Hitchcock, everyone, Psycho, amazing. People are going to see this movie. And it flopped. Well, what were the differences? What were the key differences? It was in color. One sucked and one didn't. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) No one one wanted it. Nobody wanted it. You casted uh, not a dramatic actor as Norman Bates. No. Anne Heche was nominated for a Raspberry, mm-hmm. a Razzie. She might have won the Razzie. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't, it's just... What the hell? Hollywood, most of the time, is hot trash, stupid garbage. Most of the time. Very rarely do they put out something worthwhile. I mean, this has to be... I mean, you know... You know, movies like King Kong, A Star is Born, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, Orient Express, they're going to get remade every like 20 years. There are some yeah. movies you just lock away in a vault and say, never touching those again because there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. This is one of them. The only way you could have even attempted this, you'd have to do something different. You couldn't just remake with the same plot. It probably still would have sucked, but that would have been the only way to do it, in my opinion. Like, be a little creative, do a different take on Psycho, just to remake the same movie. Am I wrong in saying, I think I read it was a shot-for-shot remake. It, it Yeah, I don't know if it's shot-for-shot, shot, but it is the exact same plot. Like, everything is the same. She's like, has her new boyfriend in the hotel, steals money, leaves town, goes to that motel off the side of the road, and dies to Norman Bates. Like, it's the exact same movie. And I, I don't know. It's just another example of how brain-dead Hollywood is. You thought originality was dead now. No, it's, uh, been, it's uh, been dead for so long. Apparently, it's been dead since 1998, at least. Oh, it was mm-hmm. dead. Jesus. The, it was dead the minute Hollywood existed. Jesus. Well, I don't want to waste time on that train wreck fun facts about psycho 870,000 or not 870 807 thousand dollar budget 50 million box office it's funny what happens when you make a interesting movie that people want to see they actually go see it that has to be 
the highest grossing movie of that year. At least the most profitable. Mm, it might not have been the highest grossing because you have John Wayne directing a movie and Billy Wilder. Yeah. I mean, those those might have made more money in the box office, but they probably cost more too. That's true. At the, at the least, it had to be one of the most profitable. Yeah. Uh, Hitchcock wanted the shower scene to be silent. So that was interesting. Yeah. That, that's a whole different scene if it's silent. <laughs> I, don't know yeah. if it, I don't know if it works. Oh, I believe Hitchcock would have made it work. There's a reason he wanted to do it that way. That's true. The only reason he changed his mind is because he heard the score with it. Yeah. And he said, that's better. Walt Disney refused to let Hitchcock into Disneyland after seeing the film. He was so appalled by it. Well, Walt Disney's a rat bastard. So <laughs> I wouldn't have been too hurt being banned. Shortly or, after, he went into cryo-freeze, Walt Disney. Yeah. And then uh, chocolate syrup used as the blood in the shower. I thought that might be the most known movie detail or one of the most known movie details of all time. Yeah. But I'll be honest, I didn't know. I didn't know that before I researched for it. So oh. I thought that was interesting as hell. And then uh, AFI, American Film Institute, ranked Psycho as the 14th greatest movie of all time. Yeah. It just why would you try to remake a movie that is one of the greatest movies ever? I was like, I'm saying like Mank. Mank is not a remake. I said, like the new thing on Netflix. I haven't seen it yet, Rebecca. I haven't seen it either. Another remake of a Hitchcock film. Why? And it looks to be not maybe not shot for shot, but beat for beat, the same goddamn movie. <laughs> Why? We already got a perfect movie. The only Oscar that he ever got was for Rebecca. Why? Are, I, don't know, I, just, I hate it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. When I saw the trailer, I was like, Rebecca, I was like, it's not. They're not remaking the Hitchcock movie. It's got to be something different. Yeah. And I was like, you sons of bitches. Not that, Rebecca. You sons of bitches. Sure enough. Uh, I was listening to uh, Kevin Smith's podcast the other day. And uh, he said they're making a reboot TV series of The Addams Family. Is there like a legion of Adams Family fans that I'm unaware of, Brett? Didn't they have like a an animated movie come out in the last like year or two? They had like I think that was a cartoon, and they had like two movies of it. Yeah, they had the animated thing come out. I don't. know. It's just they never want to do anything new. If something made money, they'd rather do a safe bet and just try to make money with it again because they don't have to try hard. Is there an Adams Family fandom clamoring for a reboot that I'm not aware of? No, they're dead. <laughs> Anyone who's an actual fan of the Adams family, realistically, of the original, is probably dead or they're lying. <laughs> uh, well, that does it for Psycho. We're going to move into Get Out. Uh, similar themes in terms of uh, suspense level. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you take uh, the facts on Get Out. All right. Directed, written, and produced by the comedic genius that is Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. Produced by Jason Blum and Sean McKittick and Edward H. Ham Jr. Edited by Gregory Plotkin. Cinematography by Toby Oliver. Music by Michael Abels. 
and it starred Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford, Katherine Keener, Caleb Landry Jones. Got a 7.7 on IMDb and a 3 out of 4 on the old Raj. Now noted, it was not Raj. It was not. But it was on his website, though. One of his trusted writers and critics. 7.7, too low? Uh, I don't think so. I think the highest I could give it is an eight. My gut says it should be an eight, but yeah, I'm not mad at the 7.7. No, I'm not either. I'm not mad at it. Three, three out of four. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, Jordan Peele, his first directorial outing. So uh, I took the liberty of looking up some, some of the best directorial debuts that we've had. Here's what I came up with, Brett. David Lynch with the racer head. Mm-hmm. Ryan Coogler with Fruitvale Station. Uh, this one, this next one might be the best. Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs. But uh, might not be the best. There's, yeah, there's some, there's there's some a, in here that are tough. There's an obvious one. There's one that for about yeah. least was considered the greatest movie that has ever been made. Red Bird with the Iron Giant. Orson Welles with Citizen Kane. That, that's the winner. That is the winner. John Houston with the Maltese Falcon. Sidney Lumet. That's how. Yeah. Sidney Lumet, 12 Angry Men. I didn't know that was his debut. That's unbelievable. That is, again, if you look up like the AFI or anything, that is probably going to be at the lowest 10, 15, top 10 or 15 greatest movies ever made. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I didn't know that was his debut. That was a typo. I was like, what? It's, yeah. And then uh, Frank Darabont, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I mean, the clear winner is Orson Welles, right? Um, I mean, yeah, there's... I just I, I hate that it got that label, the greatest movie of all time, because I think it hurts the movie more than it helps it, because people get so pretentious when they've never seen it. And they go, this is the greatest movie of all time. It puts it on the unfair pedestal. Right. But, I mean, yeah. When you, since it's released, it, ha- it had been called until a few years ago, the pound for pound goat, greatest movie of all time. It's, it's, that's a tough outing. It's tough for Orson Welles. Yeah. How, do you, how do you make a second movie if your first movie is the greatest ever? You know, he probably had... Uh that honeymoon period after it where he was like, Oh, hell yeah. I'm the goat. Hell yeah. And then then, fuck. And he's like, wait, I got to make another one. But where do you, where, where where do you rank get out in debuts? Because it's tough. Cause I think Eraserhead, it's not my favorite, but it's such a unique movie from Lynch. I might, I think this is probably better than Fruitville station. Yeah. I think a reservoir dogs is better. Yep. It's hard to compare it to the Iron Giant because it's an animated movie, more aimed at kids, but it's, uh, it's yeah. a cult classic. I don't think it's better than Citizen Kane. It's to me, it's not better than the Maltese Falcon. That's it's one of the not. greatest noirs that's ever been made. When I think of uh, noir films, I think of the Maltese Falcon first. Sam Spade, baby. Yeah, um, it's not better than Twelve Angry Men. Twelve Men, it's not. It's not better than Shawshank. So it's like, yeah, it's tough. Like these are some. A one outings, and it's not to not get out. I mean, when you're being compared to Citizen Kane, 12 Things right. Men, 
those are two of the greatest movies that have ever been made. I mean, we're not talking about the greatest movies of all time. Some of these just happen to be that. Talking about the best debuts. They just yeah. happen to be debuts. Right. <laughs> but talking about debuts, I think Get Out belongs in the combo. Yeah. I, really I think, think it's, it and it also is important to know, because I called him a comedic genius, that jump he made. Because his like, debut was kind of like a writer and like producer maybe was a, still a comedy movie in Keanu. Right. So this is like the, the guy from Key and Peele for most people. Yeah. And he comes out and makes this social commentary thriller. It was kind of shocking. Yeah. And it kind of blew everybody away. Talk about Oscar buzz. This movie was front and center for the 2018 Oscars. I mean, I wonder how many people were like, is there another Jordan Peele I don't know about? Because yeah. there's no way it's that guy. But good thing it was. He just showed. I mean, and he kind of did it again with Us. I don't think Us was as good as Get Out, but. Interesting. I think Us is better than Get Out. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Can't explain. Yeah, I think, especially from a, from a horror film standpoint, because that's the type of director he's going into, Get uh, Us is definitely a better horror movie. This is... I, it also depends on your perspective. Be, I mean, like for from like an African American perspective as a moviegoer, this is a horrific movie more than it is for someone like me. Like we talked about in Rosemary's Baby, a woman watching that movie is going to have a much more horrific impact of like the gas lighting and people lying and all that. So it's a different impact. But I think also too outside of the social commentary, just being a second movie, I just think it's a better cohesively, better directed. He's more experienced now. And I enjoyed it more. It's a, to me, it was a much scarier movie, but again, that's my certain perspective on it. The outlook of both films. I saw them both in the theater and I had more fun watching us in the theater. So I get where you, I get where you come from there, but uh, I don't know. To me, I just think get out is better. I think both, both movies, they're not carried by the leads, but yeah, the leads are elite. Get out. will be remembered longer because of its social commentary. I think it will, it'll be remembered and referenced more for what it did for, you know, like rate, like race, like film studies with like race theory and, kind of gender theory and stuff like that. It'll be remembered a lot more and analyzed probably a lot more than us would be. Especially with, you know, you know, the cop stuff, mm-hmm. the, you know, when they get to the house, the gardener is a black guy. Yeah. The the maid is black. So, you know, that stuff. So he, he was, he was on top of it in terms of being aware of what he was mm-hmm. making. Oh Yeah. And, you know, when when it comes to that, I don't know if there's anybody better right now. Probably Ryan Coogler. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, I def- I, but, you know, directorial debuts, I think it belongs in the conversation. Oh, yeah. Um, Brett, do you think Get Out saved the horror genre in some ways? Hmm. You, you've been on the record. Horror genre doesn't age well. Oh, it'll never die, though. 
It'll never die, but it's been... It is, it is this, the easiest genre. It's the cheap genre to make. Yeah. It, it might be the cheapest genre of movie That comedy. Yeah. But um, it, it definitely revitalized the genre and gave people uh, hope for the director. That there's yeah. someone really competent out there. I mean, even for the Candyman that's coming out, just knowing that he's a producer and helping on that project gives me a lot more excitement. So now there's a director out there. Cause I mean, again, I'm not the most well-versed on that genre as a total, like the, what is it? The Annabelle's, the Conjuring's, the Exorcist, like those legendary directors that do all of those. I'm not as familiar with, but it's kind of horror thrillers like this. There's a real like beacon now leading the way, leading the charge in that area. He's got a director now that I think I'm going to be excited for any movie he makes, where if Tarantino comes out with a movie, Nolan, Scorsese, I think Jordan Peele for a lot of people now is going to be like that. Like, he's got a movie coming out, I'm making an effort to see this opening weekend. That's what Us was. Yeah, we all went, a bunch of us all went and saw Us opening weekend. That's exactly what Us was. All because of, yeah, we knew how good Get Out was and wanted to see his next outing into that horror genre. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's safe horror because I think in the 2010s decade, horror was pretty close to just going into the dumpster and lighting yeah. itself on fire. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I like, I have no interest in like the conjuring universe or the Annabelle's like that shit has no appeal to me. So it's so like from that perspective. Yeah. I do think it did save it. Cause I don't care for any of those movies at all. I think the first conjuring and sinister gave horror fans hope like hey we're mm. not dead yet we're still hanging around here and then i think hereditary and get out we're just like all right we're we're in good hands now yeah hereditary get out midsummer there's like a recent wave of movie in that genre that are really yeah leading the ch- leading the charge for what can be for the horror genre moving forward so i don't i don't think it single-handedly saved the genre but it definitely was uh got people excited it was one of the pillars in getting it back up. So. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about Citizen Kane, how Orson Welles might have dug himself a hole with uh, how good it was. Yeah. I'm going to ask you the same question with Jordan Peele. Is it good or bad for a director to start their career with a movie this good? I think it's easily good. Now, I think it's like for Jordan Peele, this isn't considered one of the greatest movies of all time. So there wasn't that much pressure. But I think he proved with us that he can make just as good, if not better, movies than Get Out. And what it does to have a movie like Get Out is for someone that's like a writer director, even though he was well known in Hollywood and in the entertainment industry, giving them validity in what they do, support producers. You know, studios greenlighting his projects now. It would have been a harder for us to get greenlit if Get Out wasn't as successful as it was. Because he'd been trying to make Get Out for a while. He didn't like write it in 2016 and made it 2017. Right. He'd been writing for years and years and years. Might have been how, damn near impossible for us to get made. Yeah. But now with the success, I, I mean, I guarantee it was a much faster conversation when he was pitching yeah. us. Yeah. So I think it's incredibly important for any new director whether it be an African-American director, a female director, to have a successful first outing to give them solid footing in that industry is really, really important. So the next question, can he top it? You already kind of answered that. You think us is better. 
I think us, if it's not better, it's equally as good. I don't think anyone would look at us and go, it's much worse than Get Out. No, I don't think it's as good as Get Out, but I don't think it's like substantially worse. Yeah. So I, I think he can easily top it. I, I think hope, he is. I, hope such he does. A, I think I think he is such a good future ahead of him. I'm curious how if he sticks with this specific genre or if he takes a break. And I'm not saying venture into comedy and direct a comedy, but other types of movies. Maybe he makes you know a serious drama. Maybe he gets into the sci-fi genre. Maybe he really ventures out into a, a historical period piece. Like I'm, I'd be very curious to see what, where his mind goes and what kind of movies that he is interested in besides the horror genre. Well, he's, he's kind of already done that. He was a producer on Black Klansman. Yeah. But uh, in terms of directing, I'd like, yeah. to, I'd like to see him do stuff like that. Yeah, I, I want to see him dip his toes into a bunch of different areas. He's a producer on the new uh, Candyman. <clears throat> so, we'll see where that goes. I think it'll be fine. Yeah, it keeps getting delayed, but... Yeah. Uh, best scene. We got uh, the opening scene, the Lakeith Stanfield kidnapping. Tough. I That scene, in the first viewing, is like a kind of a, a weird start. That scene is so amazing when it finally pays off when they get to the party and you see him again and his like that like straw hat. Yeah. It, it makes that scene is so amazing because of that payoff. I don't know how long it 30 minutes later, 40 minutes later in the movie. Right. It pays it, off. Yeah. Pays off big time. Uh deer harpooned into the windshield. Oh yeah. What's your theories on this, Brett? Was it thrown? Um, was it thrown? Yeah, I mean, I there was a video that Jordan Peele did where he answered a bunch of theories about Get Out, and I forget. I know there's a lot of them on the deer and the symbolism because in the end of the movie, when he grabs the the mounted like bust yeah. and uses that, and I don't have too much of a take on this. I don't remember a lot of the theories now, but. The was it thrown is is an interesting one, like deliberately crashing the car or stopping them and everything. I think it was the brother. He's the son of a bitch. So he's a son of a bitch. I think he was sitting on the side of the road waiting, and uh, timed the throw perfectly. I got to I got to hand it to him. <laughs> he really probably did. not probably not their first time if it's true. No, definitely not. Definitely not. I think uh, the pictures in the little closet there showed that uh, wasn't the first time. Yeah, well, she probably she probably knew how fast to drive when to slow down. <laughs> they had it down to a T. Yeah, uh, the family dinner with uh, the aforementioned Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> like MMA? <laughs> never a good question to ask at a dinner. No, never, never a good thing. Uh, Mrs. Armitage hypnotizes Chris. Could be the most famous scene from the movie. This this is one of my favorites when he goes into the sunken place because it's just beautiful looking. It's just a hypnotic scene. I was gonna say the cinematography of that scene is off the charts. Yeah, it's totally off the charts. Uh, Chris talks to Jim Hudson at the uh, family reunion. Uh, Stephen Root. <laughs> Stephen Root gave a nice performance. Yeah, the dad from Dodgeball. If you don't know who Steven Root is, that's him. 
did a hell of a job. Uh, the Lakeith Stanfield camera flash of the party, Brett, you were talking about that. Yeah. That's pretty intense. Talk about paying off. Paid off there. Uh, the Armitage family auction. They're basically auctioning off Chris to see who gets to yeah. get his that brain. Mo- that's crazy. That whole montage sequence of when like the camera pans and you see what they're sitting and bidding for is insane. Especially wow. after he has the conversation with the blind man about photography. And you see him sitting in the audience bidding. Yeah. I liked his, uh, he was just so calm when he won. Though. He was just like, yeah, we got it. <laughs> yeah, of course. I tried, I watched this scene like three times. I tried to find, tried to crack the code at what the hell was going on. I don't know what the communication was. What are the bingo slips? What are his hand gestures? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I tried to make sense of it. I just couldn't. It definitely was because there was going to be no like audio for dialogue. I'm pretty sure Jordan just said, just do auction shit. <laughs> just like pretend like you're doing an auction. I think it just gave him loose direction because, yeah, there is just incoherent like stamping of buttons and him flashing like, like hand symbols. But talk about the parallels. I think that's clearly a nod to like a slave auction. Uh hundred percent. Yeah. Clear. Very that was a very clear, yeah, insinuation for that scene. And the one Asian guy. <laughs> He's in there. What is his name? Hero. Yeah, I forget. I, I always forget the Asian guys there. <laughs> <laughs> like all these white dudes and one Asian guy. Uh Let's see here. Chris finds the pictures. Tough. This is what my dad said was the craziest scene for him. I, I recently got him to watch it a few nights ago. For the first time? Yeah. And he said this was one of the most wild scenes. Because I asked him about the eating the Cheerios or whatever one by one and like sipping the milk was like a diabolical. And they show what she's looking at on the laptop. But that's a tough too. Yeah, when Chris sees her with all these photos of other guys that she's gotten to come to this house and a woman. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, she, she's died. That's a good word for it. Diabolical. Yeah. Totally diabolical. Totally insane. And, uh, it's kind of, kind of devastating because you think they're on the same side, her and Chris. Yeah. That's and great, then, uh, no, turns out they're not a great reveal. Turns out they're not on the same side. Uh, the Armitage family coming out party when uh, they all reveal what's going on here. Talk about tension. Like once he finds out and he's trying to leave and he's asking for the keys on the stairs, you're, you are like gripping your seat for him to get out of there. And then, yeah, when everyone kind of just opens up and admits to it and her face changed too, when she goes from like crying and being worried to just stone, like no emotion. Yeah. Which is like the jig is up, just admits it is makes the hairs on your arms stand up tough pill to swallow is when they were dragging him away and she was like you were one of my favorites yeah that's tough <laughs> and that's uh i also thought it was funny when the dad was leaning over the fireplace like ah, here we go again yep <laughs> another one's gonna be going down hard <laughs> not taking the easy way out uh rod goes to the police just a funny scene yeah, <laughs> Rod's the good old comedic relief. So every every scene he has is gold. <laughs> Gotta love Rod. Uh, and then the Rose and Rod phone call talking about Stoneface. 
Yeah, she turns she turns it on when she answers the phone. Rod, <laughs> Rod, I know you want to fuck me, Rod. <laughs> and he's just like, no. <laughs> Flips out. Uh, Chris knocks out Jeremy and kills Mr. Armitage. I'm gonna take this as my favorite scene. Mr. Armitage did <laughs> not see it coming. <laughs> He like steps out in the hallway. He's like taking, I think he's taking off like one of the gloves, like like just looking around and is just stabbed by the horns or the antlers of a deer. (laughs) Just brutal way to go. I mean, I gotta give it to Jeremy. He took that bocce ball to the dome. Yeah. And managed to recover and fight a second time at least. Hey, uh, Mr. Armitage tried. He tried to walk off the uh, antlers to the neck. He tried, and it didn't work out too well. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough battle to fight. <laughs> he was losing a lot of blood. Hey, poor, uh, uh, poor Jim Hudson sitting there with uh, no top to his head. Surgery yeah. never finished. <laughs> yeah, no, he uh, he died in that room. <laughs> uh, and then the ending scene. Uh, just that whole sequence, really. Have you seen the alternate ending? No, but uh, there's two alternate endings, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll get to those. Uh, you know what? Let's get to them now. Let's get to them now. Talk about the one you were uh, referencing. Um, the the main alternate ending that I know and uh, that I have watched a couple times is where in the final scene when... Chris is like on top of pretty much getting ready to kill uh, Rose. Rod, a uh, cop car pulls up, gets out, and it's Rod. She starts putting on the act again, hoping it's a real cop, and it's Rod. In an alternate version, it is a regular cop, and it kind of ends there, and it's a much darker film, kind of insinuating of cops and that kind of culture of not trusting you know, African-American men and all that, that he gets arrested and they get away with it. He right. gets framed and all these murders took place and he kind of lost his mind on the property and, and all that. Which, what's the other one you're talking about? The other one is uh, Rod arrives to rescue Chris and he enters the house, finds Chris and he's like, come on, Chris, let's go. And Chris is like, I assure you, I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, uh, I, I've not seen that one actually. Hmm. So kind of implying they went through with the surgery and it's over. That was successful. Uh, yeah, I don't like either of those as much as the theatrical ending. Me neither. I, I, we talked in length in one of my, in one of my classes, we had to watch this movie for about how the ending where it's an actual cop gets out is a little like too much for the message. Like we've gotten this whole message in this commentary throughout the entire movie that just seemed too doom and gloom and heavy handed. Like we've already gotten this message of what the film is presenting and commentating on in, in current day society that there was almost no need for that. Right. And it worked with the, the story, the way that it flowed worked well for him going to the police and all of that. It wouldn't have made any sense then for him to not take it upon himself or someone to show up and all that. So do you think it would have ruined the movie if that was the ending? I think so. I don't think it's as near as good of a movie with either of those endings. They're definitely creepier, especially the one where he the surgery was a success. Yeah. They're definitely very, very creepy endings, but I think it works better thematically to have that kind of positive uplift at the end of the film. Yeah. 
No, it definitely does. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, they didn't. Have, if, if if they were to do one of those alternate endings to replace the real one, I would have picked the surgery. Hmm. Yeah, I would have picked that. But I'm glad they went the way they did. Um. So that'll do it for the scenes. What do you think is the best scene? Did you ever? Did you ever say? Um, I said the Lakeith Stanfield kidnapping in the beginning is great for that payoff at the party. Yeah. Um, I think the the best scene might be when he finds the pictures and everything, like the scene following. Because that's like we talked about with the Hitchcock of like suspense. Because that's kind now, of a scene, really. Because now we know something that some of the characters, because before we didn't know really anything we didn't know where she stood kind of what's going on here we kind of but now we know more than the family does and so we're rooting for him and that kind of reveal and they all turn on him and we find out that rose is also not like the one good person in this kind of crazy family that that i mean the first time watching it that scene i feel like just stressed me out so much. Like I was rooting so bad for him to get the keys, get the house. When he's yelling for the keys, you just hear the defeat and pain in his voice. Rose, keys, give me the keys, Rose. <laughs> like you can just hear him pleading. That's just heartbreaking. You know I can't. You know I can't let you leave, babe. Yeah, and that transition, like I said earlier, from like being kind of confused to just no emotion. <laughs> And then when he just he just charges the brother, he's like, "Fuck it, <laughs> I'm gonna die swinging." <laughs> um, some comedy and some red flags. What is Chris shaving at the beginning? <laughs> some peach fuzz, maybe I don't know. That was nothing. He was a clean shaven man. He shaved again. <laughs> what? <laughs> Seems like a waste of shaving cream, if you ask me. Uh, the quote from Rose, I'm not going to let anyone fuck with my man. Didn't age well for Rose. No. <laughs> Unless it's me. Uh, Mr. Armitage wearing corduroy pants. Redis, you know I'm a fan of the corduroy pants. I don't have any problem with this. I don't have any problem with it. The reds or gets a red flag. <laughs> Not for me, it's not. <laughs> I like the corduroys. They're comfy. Uh, could be a red flag for me, though. I probably shouldn't be wearing corduroys at <laughs> age 23, but here we are. Sealed off basement. It's always a red flag. <laughs> Did you What's catch that? what he said? That's the basement. <laughs> So it's always the way they say it, too. When someone asks, what's that room? They're never like, well, that's the basement. I was like, that is the basement. We don't go in there. Whoa, okay. Why not? Yeah. (laughs) Did you hear how he brushed it off? He was just like, oh, we had some black mold down there. Very quick. (laughs) It's like, what? Uh, Casually offering hypnosis to Chris? My wife can hypnotize you. <laughs> Let's take care of your smoking real quick. Yeah. They slammed him for smoking. Yeah. Nasty habit. Yeah, especially his wife. She really just pissed off, honestly, that he was smoking around his daughter. That's my kid. That's my kid. Yeah, I'm very aware, sir. <laughs> very aware of where I am. 
another red flag. The entire one-on-one with uh, Walter the gardener. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fist bump was tough. When yeah. He, he yeah. goes to fist bump, but it's just an open hand. <laughs> <laughs> the Armitages have served me very well. They no no one, complaints. No one speaks that manner. <laughs> Uh, any and all encounters at the family reunion. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, especially the Lakey Stanfield's character. I mean, right. Also speaking of best scenes, the gardener running that everyone like memed and made fun of. That is terrifying. The first time you watch this movie, that (laughs) perfect form, dead sprint. And then I loved when he was talking to him the next day, he was like, I hope my uh, exercise routine didn't uh, scare you. It did. Uh, it, it did, Walter. It did. Uh, scared the shit out of me. Actually, I uh, you got to clean some shit up over there because I <laughs> shit my pants. Yeah, no, no, no. You are mistaken if you think I was not scared <laughs> by that. You came out of nowhere. Uh, the only encounter that wasn't creepy was uh, with Jim Hudson, the blind guy. Yeah, which it sucks. The only genuine interaction happens to be the man that buys his eyes <laughs> <laughs> a mere few scenes later. Hey, good guy. Oh, wait. <laughs> I just want your eyes, Chris. I want your eye, brother. Tough. Uh, Rod's Dahmer tangent. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. It wasn't too far off, as it turned out. Mm-mm. Minus the cannibalism. He wasn't too far off. Uh, Georgina's apology to Chris for unplugging his phone. Red it's flag. Un- it's uncomfortable, dude. It's a massive red flag. Yeah. You can see, like, whoever Georgina was before the surgery. Yeah. She's, like, trying to, she's, like, get the fuck out of here, man. Yeah, trying to help him. But uh, she couldn't quite come out the way she wanted to. Uh, Jim Hudson gives Chris the rundown on what's going on with the surgery. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a very weird saying. I want your eye, man. <laughs> no hard feelings, brother. <laughs> and then uh, Rose surfing the web. Yeah. What did she do? What did she Google? Oh, what was it? D1 athletes? <laughs> <laughs> what was it? It was like NCAA Division One commits. Yeah. It's just her scrolling through Google images. Oh. Tough. Tough. Uh... And then performances. Daniel Kaluuya as Chris Washington. Breakout performance for him. He has to do a lot in this movie. Yes. Like he has to play a cool guy. He has to play a scared guy. Yes. He has to, he has to play like three different guys. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Did he get snubbed? Did he deserve the Oscar? No. Because this is more... The performances were great, but this is more... The story is the focus. The commentary is the focus of this movie. It's not a movie based on actors and how well they do a scene together. Glad he got the nod, though. Yeah. Uh, Gary Oldman won this year for Darkest Hour. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. Allison Williams as Rose Armitage. She crushed it. Yeah. It's one of those things where you, like, hate a character so much, but it's just because how well they did the acting. You're like, no, you're not supposed to root for this character. She, I mean, 
like just the, like the ability to change that fast, just the facial expression, not even having to like say any lines, but that's such good acting. We are on the phone, her voice and being stone cold. It is such a good performance. It is it makes your skin crawl. How just maniacal she ends up making this character. Hey, what? I wouldn't trust her in real life. I wouldn't trust Allison Williams in real life. <laughs> yeah, like I've seen her in other movies or like in trailers, and I just think that she's this character. <laughs> well, guess what, Brett? Turns out you can't trust her father, Brian Williams. <laughs> the news anchor can't trust him. I guess he can. That's true. <laughs> oh, that's for another time. <laughs> for another show. A whole other show besides ours. Bradley Whitford as Dean Armitage. <laughs> another solid job. Yeah. I mean, Bradley Whitford's a good actor. You know what you're getting when you cast him. Yeah. Catherine Keener, who's an Oscar winner for being John Malkovich as Missy Armitage. Yep. Great creepy level. And then Lil Rel as Rod Williams. <laughs> the comedic relief. Solid. He improv most of his lines. And uh, that was the right move. Yeah. Uh, Bredis, our friend Nathan Duke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Minus the racism of Jeremy. I get serious Nate vibes from Jeremy. <laughs> I said before the pod, I knew exactly the moment that popped in your head. <laughs> and it's when he asks about MMA at the dinner. <laughs> That's, uh, that was the exact moment he thought about that. So you know how Nate is when he gets a couple drinks. He leans, he starts leaning in, and he's like, "You like MMA? You you watch UFC? He'll take you outside and do some grappling. <laughs> He'll show you the ropes. He knows won't, what's up. Won't end well for him, but <laughs> uh, impossible questions might be possible to answer. I feel like I can answer these. Does Chris ever date again? Not white women. (laughs) That is for damn sure. And uh, why are they against smoking of all things? Uh, Because they want to use all their body parts and they look for that most healthy. Like she's looking for D1 athletes in particular. He has really good eyes. They don't want anything like to be messing with their body to have bad lungs. That's kind of what they do is they auction them off. That makes sense. Yeah. So they don't want to have anything like fucking up their lungs or their liver or all kind of that kind of stuff. And then did Rod and Chris talk on the way home? They no. <laughs> they sat in utter silence as talk radio probably played. It's <laughs> probably exactly what happened. There's not, I mean, there's not, what do you say? <laughs> I think Chris just needs to like relax for a minute. Rod has to take in what he just drove up on. So Chris, besides tonight, how was the weekend? Yeah. Good, <laughs> good, good, good food. Good spread. Uh, one of our favorite segments, who got it the worst? I think there's a clear winner here, but let's see what you think. Mr. Armitage, mm. deer antlers to the jugular. Tough. That'd be my vote. Jeremy, bocce ball to the skull plus multiple curb stomps. That's the, yeah, the curb stomps are a, f- a fan favorite of mine. It's, I mean, it really is between Jeremy and Mr. Armitage. Really is. Two man race here. Those are the two most brutal. Uh, some honorable mentions, I guess. Mrs. Armitage, letter opener to the neck, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't show it. 
<laughs> and then Rose, rifle shot from point blank range. Yeah, it's tough. Tough. I'm going to go Mr. Armitage. Deer antlers to the jugular. That's, uh, yeah, you're just bleeding out. Yeah. Yeah. You going with Jeremy? I'll go Jeremy. I just, it, anytime something gets curb stomped is always just such a gruesome way to go. It's a two for one. <laughs> I just, honestly, I give him props for, for coming back from the, <laughs> the bocce ball shot. Cause that, I mean, he was bleeding out of his skull when we left it. I think he hit him twice. Yeah, he was, there was blood coming out of his head. So we'll give him points for rallying, but yeah, he Chris, was on the, um, at the end of that first round. He was out on his feet, but the <laughs> bell rang, and then he went to his corner, out of it. And when he stood up, he still was out of it, but he had to fight. <laughs> the The doctor should have stopped the fight, but he didn't. Yeah, no. uh, winner winner by knockout. <laughs> Second round. Brett's bitch. Anything? Uh, I don't know. I don't really think so. It's just a damn good movie. I think if you haven't seen it, you can say that again. You need to see it. This is a director to keep your eye on, especially if you like thrillers, horror movies. He was in our up and coming section of uh, Director Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, this is such a good first go at directing. I don't even think he's up and coming anymore. I think he's here. Yeah, now he's definitely more established. But yeah, around when this came out, it was like, keep your eye on this guy. Yeah. Uh, and I can't understate or overstate the shock value of this guy directed this. Yeah. And it did this well. Like true, true to form sketch comedy. Yeah. A lot of the scene, a lot of the lines were improv. I mean, yeah, just kind of unbelievable. They pulled it off. Um, ninetieth Oscars, four nods, one win. Nominated for best picture, best director, and best actor. One for best original screenplay. Jordan Peele, the first African American winner. Yeah, of best well deserved. Screenplay. Oh yeah, and uh, off the top of my head. I would have to think because the silence of the lambs is, you know, it's Academy considers it a horror movie. I don't, but they do. It's considered. It is the only movie that's considered in the horror genre to win best picture. And uh, to my knowledge, off the top of my head, get out is the first one since silence of the lambs to be nominated for best picture. Yeah, and unfortunately, it got beat out by that shitty sea monster movie for Best Picture. No comment. I mean, I didn't think it was going to win this year anyways because there were some... You had three billboards that year, I think. I know Dunkirk. Um, yeah, but you didn't think Shape of Water was going to win. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but I'm saying even before... Darkest the, Hour. Water, yeah, Darkest Hour. Call Me By Your Name, I, I think, was either this year or the year before... I mean, no. I just think there were other movies that were going to get for Best Picture, but I was really pulling for it for Best Virtual Screenplay. So it was awesome to see on his first outing as a writer-director. It was. it was awesome. Um, talked about Daniel Kaluuya for Best Actor. I don't think he was going to win, but it was just nice to, yeah, nice to I mean, see him get the nod. 
I mean, you lose to someone like Gary Oldman. It's, it's like, eh, you know. <laughs> well, he was going up against Gary Oldman, Daniel Day-Lewis, Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah, Phantom Thread, yeah. <laughs> Throw Washington. that in there. Throw Phantom Thread in there. Yeah, so you're going up against a literal god in the best actor category. <laughs> How about that for Jordan Peele? Hey, Jordan, you're nominated for Best Director. You're going up against Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was Christopher fun. Nolan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all those guys for best actor: Timothy Chalamet, Denzel, Daniel. Oh. I would just been like, "Fuck!" Daniel made a movie this year. <laughs> Damn it! What are, the, what are the odds? Damn it! <laughs> Seriously, what are the odds? I know he only <laughs> he only makes them like one every four years. It feels like. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, but it was nice to see him get the nod. Mm-hmm. Talked about the alternate endings. Fun facts, Brett, before we wrap it up tonight. Four and a half million budget murder. 255 million box office. It is dirt cheap to make horror movies. Murder. Murder the box office. Yeah. Filmed in only 23 days. Part of the reason it's so cheap. doesn't take long. Yeah. I love hearing that when you get like a great shot schedule, call sheet, everything lined up and you can just bang stuff out. So it was a nightmare when it's like, oh, we were filming for seven months. Yeah. That's just like, God, that just. That's, I would think that's nightmare. gotta be good for actors too. Cause yeah, it's probably, you know, pretty intense cause it's, it's a short schedule, but it's worth it because it's a short schedule. Yeah. And you can do more later that year it doesn't take up pretty much the entire year to make right uh chance the rapper bought all tickets for certain chicago theaters so people could see it for free he was so impressed with the movie that he bought out theaters so good on chance for doing that uh the chris and rod phone calls with each other were filmed with jordan peele on the other line hmm so Chris, so when Chris calls Rod from the bedroom, he's actually talking to Jordan Peele now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of Silence of the Lambs, Peele used the Silence of the Lambs as an inspiration for the hypnosis scenes. Not a bad inspiration. He liked the one-on-one dynamics between uh, Jody and Hopkins, and yeah, you can kind of see it, honestly. Yeah, kind of see it. So, Bredis, anything else to add before we uh, close it out? Um, I feel like most people have seen Get Out. Probably, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't for some reason seen Psycho, maybe you haven't seen it in a long time, see it. Two amazing movies. One, one of the most iconic movies in the history of cinema. I'll always be shouting out my boy Alfred. But go see them. I know that's not Halloween, October anymore, but these aren't, these aren't strictly horror. These are thrillers in their own right, too, but we cheated. I feel like I might have reminded some people about Psycho, so go out and see it. Yeah. I feel like most people we know have probably seen Get Out. If you haven't yeah. seen it since it came out, throw it on. It's worth it. It's very worth it. I watched it again today after work, and it's a quick watch. Hour 40. Again, another staple of good horror. 
knows what it is. Pulled out to two hours and 45 minutes. Knows exactly what it is. Uh, and again, RIP, Sean Connery, we're going to miss you. Yep. And uh, keep an eye out for Mank, Bredis. Mm-hmm. Mank is coming. The new film by David Fincher. His first film since Gone Girl. Finchy. His first film in six years. And I love it. It's about Citizen Kane. Yes. I'm all in. It's going to be out on Netflix this month. Keep an eye out. If you like Fincher, if you like Gone Girl, if you like Benjamin If you like good movies, you'll probably like. <laughs> Just put it that way. That's a good way to put it. So, uh, and, and, you know, check out, check out the rest of our content on the network. We got Lynn Sanity, Caleb Lynn. Uh, and I was on Lynn Sanity the other day. We talked about uh, NFL trade deadline, Bredis. Ah. Colts, as usual, did nothing at the deadline. <laughs> They were like, we'll wait till we can draft. We don't want to do anything rash. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on the NBA restart, Bredis? Are they going to start on December 22nd? We briefly talked about this. I don't know if I want to start it that soon, but I'm all in for just like some play-in games. Like a preseason, like it doesn't count for the record, but just to have something to watch on Christmas Day, it's, it's like a tradition to have basketball on in the background as you eat breakfast, just hang out. Yeah. It'd be sad to not have it, but I don't know if I want it to count and start immediately the season. I, I need to see the Knicks lose on Christmas Day. It's just a yeah. tradition. Even if it doesn't count, I just want to see him get beat. <laughs> so uh, the Running Hook podcast, Alex Burr will be covering NBA Restart and anything you need to know about that. Uh, top, triple option pass, Ryan Gregory and Devin Voss. They're going to get you covered on college football this week. Big Ten's back. And uh, Pac-12's back, so a lot of stuff going on there. And then on the Battleground, moderated by myself and featuring Bryce Shaddy and J.D. Hall. So check those out. Check all that out. And then uh, Partners in Crime, Brett. Oh, yeah. Us and uh, Uncle Bill, we had a pod go out uh, a couple days ago on Roy DeMeo. So take a listen to that. That was a fun one. And uh, as always, thanks for listening to us. 